are listening to From the Burgundy Chairs, a podcast for health system leaders created by Santa's Health. Hi everyone, my name is Kelty Gale and I'm a senior consultant here at Santa's Health. On today's episode, Susan Fitzpatrick, former interim CEO of Ontario Health, is joining me to discuss Ontario's health transformation agenda. Susan Fitzpatrick has over 30 years of experience in Ontario's healthcare system. She was appointed Interim Chief Executive Officer of Ontario Health, and as the inaugural CEO, Susan led the province's newest health agency through one of the largest mergers in recent health history. In 2015, Susan was appointed Chief Executive Officer of the Toronto Central Local Health Integration Network, and just a few weeks ago, Susan joined the Santa's Health team as a senior advisor. Due to social distancing, we're not actually in the studio today, but Susan is joining us virtually. Thanks for joining us. So over the last little while, we know that a health system has been totally consumed dealing with the pandemic, um, but the, and the ongoing Ontario health team work has presumably been put on hold over the past few months. But our healthcare system has done a remarkable job um, of managing parts of the acute phase of the pandemic and is approaching a new reality kind of state already. Um, what do you think we can expect for OHTs over the summer and into the fall? That's a great question. Um, you know, just before the, uh, the pandemic hit, everything, everyone was talking about OHTs. Uh, last night I did a few uh, Google searches to see what, uh, what has been coming up on OHTs over the past six months. And, you know, you see such a break uh, from in the fall leading into uh, December, huge amounts of, uh, of media attention. And then, you know, coming into June, very, very little, uh, which makes me believe that they've been um, relatively inactive. Now, I know there's been uh, particular OHTs that uh, through the process, I think, have strengthened their relationships and the work they did to set that uh, good uh, governance uh, has helped them through, uh, through COVID-19 in terms of uh, preparing and working with their community partners. I would say, though, that I think it's a little early to say that uh, the acute system is ready to uh, approach a new reality. The system's extremely fragile, and I think uh, anyone interacting with the system is experiencing that. Uh, so you have uh, hospital administrators now that are dealing with significant uh, lingering challenges. Uh, hospitals did a great job uh, preparing for the uh, for the pandemic. They created the capacity. They had the uh, critical care capacity and so forth, and uh, were very very well prepared. Now, uh, with the uh, the curve flattening out, uh, there's capacity been generated. But of course, many hospitals, even this week, I think, have been saying. They do not have sufficient capacity to start into a kind of non-urgent and elective procedures. So still a big struggle to understand how to deal with capacity and backlog. Uh, what is the plan going to be for non-urgent and elective procedures? And, uh, you know, significant hospital contribution to long-term care. And I'll, I'll say a little bit more about that. But I think uh, finding the answers uh, for long-term care is everyone's problem. So I think, you know, the, the uh, OHT executives uh, have been heads down uh, trying to respond uh, to COVID. Uh, many working 24-7, uh, 
trying to uh, talk, trying to respond. I hope the summer will be a time where they can lift their heads up a bit, you know, perhaps take a little bit of time off. Uh, but I think the most important thing they can do is to assess the situation, get together, really try to understand what worked well, what didn't, where were their gaps, uh, and start thinking about, you know, what are the changes they can make to respond to the next wave. Um, for me, looking at it, and I, I, uh, I think other people will, um, will be thinking a lot about this, is the importance of community. I did want to say a little bit about uh, we're a very inclusive healthcare system, uh, but we really need to look at tailor-made solutions. Uh, in Toronto, when I was in Toronto Central, we really went into our neighborhoods. So I think uh, refocusing commu on community, uh, where we've uh, had good support for patients and families. So the individual patient, the family unit, now the community unit. And we know those are so important for, for COVID, COVID and pandemic response. I do think it's a time also to reflect on how well the relationships have worked, uh, how well the governance structure is working, and uh, to start looking at are there new partners they want to invite in. I think the initial uh, partnerships in the OHTs was somewhat limited and I would say were traditional uh, traditional partners, traditional uh, health service providers. Uh, but if they were looking at it from today's lens, who would they think is important to be part of their, uh, of their um, OHT? I mean, obviously, public health is that well represented. I would say city and municipalities, how well is that represented? And, you know, what's the role really for the, uh, the private sector uh, in, in the uh, OHT development? Um, I think uh, any uh, OHT that has not uh, strongly established a relationship with primary care uh, should be looking at that as something they want to uh, they want to really kind of work on over the summer months. You mentioned long term care, and we know that that the experience in, of the pandemic in long term care has been really different from the experience in other parts of the health system, and that the long term care sector has dealt with the challenge in a very different way and has been affected in a very different way. Um, how? does their relationship with an OHT shift in given what you were saying that managing long-term care is everyone's responsibility and that we'll need to, as a system, figure out um, how we move forward on that? Well, I can't help but think, you know, thinking on long-term care and I don't think, uh, you know, if I had uh, at the time been able to predict where the biggest issues were would have occurred, I don't think I would have identified long-term care. So I think, uh, you know, in hindsight, we're seeing that. Uh, the one thing with long-term care, and I saw this in the uh, Toronto Central Inn, also I would say in the, uh, in the OHT proposals, was they tend to sit at the side uh, you know, currently they're in a separate ministry, but even though the LINs had the, uh, the accountability agreements for long-term care, the LIN role was somewhat uh, minor. So they've never, they've really struggled to be an equal partner at any table. 
Uh, they seem to often be an add-on. And I think uh, really a meaningful, a strong, meaningful relationship with long-term care and really bringing them strongly to the table. I think it's complicated because, it, you know, public-private uh, relationships. And the other uh, point with the long-term care model uh, is it's provincially managed. So if uh, it, the long-term care homes at one time perhaps were built to serve, to serve a community interest, uh, but now uh, with the provincial system, you can put your name into any long-term care you wish. And often people will select long-term care homes perhaps that are closer to their families. So it's very hard for a long-term care uh, home to attach itself perhaps to an OHT because they're not exclusively serving the population for that OHT. Uh, where there's populations that are, uh, are more easily uh, uh, segmented um, due to their location, I would say probably areas up northeast and uh, uh, in the west, uh, they may be able to do a lot more of that. There were a models emerging um, before the pandemic where I think OHTs were probing a little bit, would it be possible to get some kind of access to a percentage of long-term care beds so that the OHT could function at maximum efficiency? There's been a lot of talk about hospital capacity and in the news the last few days comments on how hospitals now have these rising rates again of people who don't really need to be in hospital, but who can't go to long term care can't return home um, and are are filling up the hospital beds and then therefore impacting what the hospital is able to do to get back on top of their backlog. Um, you meant you were saying that looking at the whole community um, is, is going to be important going forward and, and for the development of OHTs and that this may have highlighted the need for a community approach. Um, do you, what's the relationship between all these parts of the system? Uh, I think the hospitals, uh, you know, there was a backlog, like we know that early on in the pandemic, people were avoiding the uh, emergency rooms. I think that's probably um, being being overcome to a, a large degree. Uh, but that period of time when people uh, stayed away from hospitals, I think that's catching up a bit. So I'd be quite interested in you know, how ill people are now that are in hospitals, as opposed to, I think, you know, when the pandemic uh, started, hospitals with help from community partners were able to move out uh, a number of their ALC patients to uh, create space. And I do find that's pretty interesting that when push comes to shove, creative solutions can be found. Uh, obviously, hospital or sorry, obviously, hotels have not been full during this period of time, and you know I think the easing up on the travel restrictions is coming slowly. So I think you know some uh, health systems purchased uh, space in uh, in hotels or conference centers or different meeting uh, organizations. So. I think it's, it is a little bit of looking at what is the capacity in the community, what can be done, uh, and always protecting the capacity of the hospital to, to very, very quickly uh, respond. I, d I would say that we're, um, 
seeing some intentional uh, direction of hospitals to manage uh, some of the long-term care homes. Um, I don't think that's going to happen in every case. I think there's about 600 long-term care homes, but can there be uh, some proactive discussions with long-term care homes in communities with their health system partners, which essentially is the, the concept of the OHT. So, you know, you're not in it alone. You don't have to get all the supplies on your own. You don't have to find all the staff on your own. Uh, when there's uh, problems with COVID outbreak at your home, the partners will be there to, you know, support testing, support, you know, the, the right place for the patient, all of those things. If we look at some of the potential silver linings, I suppose, of the health system being forced to move so quickly, um, you you call them the creative solutions, and I think that's a great a great term. Um, I think one of the other ones that were that we saw through this was that the government was very focused on expanding their virtual care and access to services digitally. And one of their ways of doing that was to get the OHTs looking at this. And then now, do, through COVID nineteen, the system has hugely rapidly expanded access to these services um, as people didn't want to go into their doctor's offices and doctors just didn't probably want people coming into their offices. So especially in primary care, um, they've really, really expanded virtual care. Um, how do you, what do you think the system needs to be doing to maintain that momentum? Um, but also how these changes will potentially affect the planning that OHTs were, were working on to take on this digital health expansion? Yeah, I think it's a, a great question. And um, I think the uh, you know the COVID nineteen I think uh, really shifted the way primary care looked at how can they deliver primary care services, and early on I think there was a, a very very large increase in virtual. I think uh, you know some offices went almost entirely to uh, virtual. I think there's, you know, for me, I would want an assessment of how that's worked because I don't think, you know, those pendulum can swing completely one way or the other. So what did primary care learn through that, uh, that ability to do work virtually? What worked really well and just simply will never go back to saying there needs to be an office visit? What was challenging? Uh, and if we want to also uh, look at uh, how it worked, I think we have to talk to the patients, the caregivers, the families. How did it work for them? And really on a, uh, on a kind of a very thoughtful model, try to redesign uh, what, are, what is the availability for primary care for face-to-face? -face? What is the availability virtually? Um, you know, home visiting, you know, what is the capacity for the teams to get around to the homes? Like we know, uh, you know, as people age uh, and uh, home care, that you're going to have, you know, fairly immobile people in the home. So just looking at that whole model, like I, I fear a little bit that we not slip back into the old model. And I would, um, I think, you know, some really uh, strong work with the, uh, the Medical Association needs to occur. That's the, uh, the, the government's role. Uh, and really come to terms with 
the financial aspects. I mean, the impact of uh, COVID-19 and primary care physicians, you know, has has been there. And, uh, you know, as you design offices in the future, you probably need more space that costs money. Uh, you need more supplies. You may well need more staff. So I think uh, really a good economic assessment of the new model uh, would really be needed to uh, ensure success going forward. I don't think it's going to continue as it is if it's not uh, carefully uh, tended to. Um, one of the things we haven't really talked about yet is home care. And the home care sector has also been really impacted throughout this pandemic um, as people are less comfortable having people come into their homes, as people are working for multiple agencies and moving around, um, shared workforce with long-term care. They've had lots of, lots of issues that have affected the home care sector as well. Um, but the provincial government is pushing forward with their Bill 175 of the no, new home and community care bill. Even through this time, they're doing the consultations, um, I believe right now and into next week. Um, a number of organizations are asking the government to pause or to delay and first understand what the impact of COVID-19 has been before implementing the legislation. Um, do you think the legislation has the kind of impact that needs to be, that it needs this impact right now needs to be really studied before they can move forward? Or should they keep, can they keep pushing forward with this bill and at the same time, look at what the impact has been on the sector and how, how home care could be um, changed and reorganized to reflect the lessons learned? Well, it's interesting when you, you know, I said it in one of my questions, if I had been able to look forward, uh, you know, in March to kind of identify where I thought the biggest impacts would be. I, like everyone else, was, you know, concentrating, can the hospitals get the capacity? Do we have the critical care? It was very much, can we save people's lives? And if, you know, at that time, Italy was having a very hard time even having the uh, the capacity to put patients on ventilators. Uh, but just as I said, I, I wouldn't have necessarily predicted that um, long-term care would have had such a large problem. I did worry about home and community care and uh, being responsible for home and uh, community care at the Toronto Central Inn for a number of years and knowing a lot of the staff. I worried about the care coordinators, uh, the PSWs and nurses going in from the, from the home care providers. And really, I don't think we saw a significant issue. And I wonder, you know, if part of that is because a lot of home care, like, is a kind of a one-on-one -one service. So, so the extent to which when people come into the home, they're observing as much as they can, you know, the kind of, you know, the hand sanitizing, face masks when they're available. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of that is the culture of, of home care. When I was at the Wynn, they spent a lot of time, like, how are they safe in the homes? And they worked with the service providers to do that. Uh, I, you know, I think, you know, if you look at the difference, long-term care is a congregate setting, home care is a individual setting, uh, more kind of one-on-one -on -one type of care. And I wonder if, you know, part of what really needs to look at is all congregate settings, not just long-term care. Uh, you know, there's retirement homes, there's uh, many different uh, structures that provide continuing care, provide uh, um, uh, su supportive uh, 
uh, assisted living, rent support. So I think looking at the congregate living settings is a, you know, a, a super high priority and, and very dense settings where people find it hard to really try to self-isolate because they're in very uh, small spaces. So I think that's, you know, a pretty long way <laughs> to go to say if I was picking the handful of issues as a government that I thought had to be dealt with, I'm not sure home care would be at the top. Um, you know, the government will will uh, develop its legislative agenda for what they think is important to bring forward. And, you know, the top two, without doing a lot of, uh, of, of hard thinking, have got to be public health and long-term care. Uh, and I would probably add, yeah, it's more adjacent to uh, public health, but uh, public uh, health laboratories and commercial laboratories. So I don't, uh, I don't see home care as an area that I think would be a priority uh, right at this time. But we'll see, you know, how the government wants to respond to the consultations. And I think with that, we'll have to cut this conversation off, even though I have so many more questions. Um, but thank you so much for sharing your perspective and for giving us a little more insight onto, um, into the OHTs and how they are progressing and what that might look like under this health system transformation. Great. Thank you. It was nice talking to you. Thanks for listening. You can find this episode and more on our website at santashealth.ca and on our Twitter at Santas Health. This has been from the Burgundy Chairs. <laughs>